turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. And if you're using the Bible in the chair pew, it's 1008. 1008. Our writer returns to Abraham, having earlier talked about Abraham leaving the land of his heritage and how he believed God for that and how he and Sarah believed God for a baby. And now we come to this pivotal event in Abraham's life. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Thus, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to our understanding in our lives. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would enable us to enter into your word and to believe it, to have it transform us, Lord, transform our faith, transform our lives. Lord, we thank you for this word that is sharper than any two-edged sword, as this same writer has written before. It's able to judge between the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Lord, expose us, save us, change us, draw us to Yourself, that we may offer ourselves completely up to Jesus Christ. For it is in His name we pray. Amen. Uh, Gordon Wenham, a commentator on Genesis, has described this story in this way. No other story in Genesis, indeed, The whole Old Testament can match the sacrifice of Isaac for its haunting beauty or its theological depth. He says, this is it. For theological depth and haunting beauty, there is nothing like it in the whole Old Testament. And its beauty and depth stems from, stem from this most distressing and unbearable command that a human being could be given by God. Sacrifice your son. The story of Abraham, of course, was central throughout Jewish history. And Abraham was the great father of the whole nation. And his whole life, of course, was admired and poured over. His faith in leaving Ur, his faith in God for a child. But this event, way above all others, captivated Jewish thought and literature. In the Jewish tradition... It was called the binding of Isaac or the Akedah, the Akedah, the binding, just simply the binding. And it was understood what was meant. 
And it's interesting, just to show you one example of how important it was, we pray in Jesus' name ourselves. This event was so critical that they would, in effect, pray in the name of Isaac. Listen to this prayer from what's called the Palestinian Targum. Now I pray for mercy before you, O Lord God, that when the children of Isaac come to a time of distress, that is the Jews, the children of Isaac, you may remember in their behalf the binding, the Akedah of Isaac, their father, and loose and forgive their sins and deliver them from all their distress. Deliver us and remember the binding of Isaac. That's how critical this was in their thinking. Now, one of the things that stares us in the face as we go back to Genesis 22 and read this account is... God's order to sacrifice a son. We come face to face with the seeming injustice of this. How could God really ask Abraham to do such a thing? Now, next week, we're going to really get into the faith of Abraham as he offered up Isaac. But I wanted to take some time this week to consider this question this command of sacrificing his son and what we may learn from it. We know, you see, that God detested the sacrifice of children that was practiced by some of the surrounding nations. In Jeremiah, speaking of such sacrifices to the Ammonite God of Molech, he said, this was a thing I never commanded, nor did it enter my mind that they should do this abomination. Now, certainly part of his hatred of this worship was that they were sacrificing anything to this idol, but especially that they would sacrifice their children, something so precious as their children to something so worthless as a piece of metal or wood that they call Moloch. That truly was an abomination. But still... Even if God is the one to whom a child is being offered, the command strikes us as just morally wrong. How could God do this? And so this morning, we're simply going to consider this matter of why God has a right to give such a command. So it's a bit of a diversion, but I think it's important as you consider this whole act of offering up Isaac and delve into Genesis chapter 22. But in the process... We will see something of what it means to give ourselves up in sacrifice to God. What it means to be owned by God and to be and to have given ourselves completely up to God. So it's a bit of a diversion, but it lands us in one of the central issues in the Christian life of the giving up of ourselves to him. So how can we explain then this command that God Gives him a command that God has said in another context. This is detestable to me. It would never enter my mind. Well, first, we must acknowledge the full authority that God has as our creator. The 18th century commentator, John Gill, a primitive Baptist, by the way, wrote this. He is the Lord of life, the giver and preserver of it. And he has a right to dispose of it and to take it away when and by what means and instruments he thinks fit. That could be just the end of the story. He is absolute Lord 
over our lives. And he can do with our lives whatever he chooses. Not only is his power unlimited, his prerogative to act as Lord is unquestionable. And his wisdom and his righteousness are unassailable. He's wholly wise in all that he does. He's flawlessly righteous in all that he does. Even his mercy is pervasive. As the psalmist says, his mercies are over all his works, including this one, though we may not see it. And so we must acknowledge God's authority and his unlimited wisdom and righteousness acting in a realm that we cannot imagine. But secondly, not only must we acknowledge his authority first, but secondly, we must acknowledge our culpability. And by that word, I mean our guilt and responsibility as humans before the living God. We have to recognize this now. It's it's embedded in the very story of Isaac, because at the time that Abraham has raised the knife, he has it in hand, we read in Genesis 22, and he's about to bring it down to perhaps uh, cut the throat of his own son as sacrifice was done in those days. It is at that point that God stops him and says, don't sacrifice him. But he could have simply just stopped him and said, no, we're not going to do this. Let's pack up. Let's go home. But he didn't. He provided a ram to die in his place. Now, why? Why was it necessary that a ram die in the place of Isaac? And you get the clear sense from the text. That is why Isaac is not being put to death. It's not just that God has second thoughts about this sacrifice. It's that there is a substitute on behalf of Isaac. The message is that he deserves to die. But why? It's because the firstborn in the biblical framework is a primary representation of human life. And therefore, the firstborn, like all humans, is under judgment. The firstborn represents humanity under judgment. It's an announcement that human life is forfeit to God. We are sinners lost and under the death sentence of judgment, except for the mercy of God. That's what we confess in our first statement of of confession. Do you believe that you are a sinner without hope, uh, displeasing to God and without hope, save for the mercy of God? And this story is not isolated. It's parallel and it's on purpose, a parallel of the Hebrews own experience in Egypt. God brought judgment on Egypt through the death of every firstborn. But the firstborn in Israel were saved from that same death only because a lamb had been sacrificed in each Israelite home and its blood smeared on the top and sides of each doorpost. Only because that blood indicated the death of a substitute did the death angel pass over that house and refrain from bringing judgment on the Israelite firstborn. Only because the lamb was substituted. And this event in Egypt actually became a permanent part of Israel's life. Not only as the Passover was celebrated every year, but also with the birth of the birth of any males, as, as it was put, that opened up the womb. 
the firstborn that was a male. Whether man or animal, it belonged to the Lord. If it was a cow or sheep, it was sacrificed without fail. If it was a human being, if it was a person, it was his also. But the Lord in his kindness allowed the newborn baby boy to be redeemed. So that he didn't have to die, but he had to be redeemed. And so it's the sign, the firstborn representing human life under judgment to God, but in mercy the Lord allows redemption. So the assumption is, is that this it's born owned by God. God has exclusive power over it, but the Lord allows the redemption of the child. So the Lord detested the practice of child sacrifice in Molech worship. Not only was it a travesty to offer up one's child to an empty idol, but such sacrifice didn't reflect the wonderful mercy and kindness of God seen in Israel's privilege of redeeming their firstborn child. You see, that reflected the mercy of God upon humanity represented in the firstborn. But that doesn't change the fact that the firstborn belongs to the Lord and the Lord has exclusive rights over its life. And that's not just over him, but that's a statement to say the Lord has absolute authority over every one of our lives. And here with Abraham, the Lord of heaven and earth is the giver of all life is exercising his right. You see, this teaches us that the Lord has absolute exclusive rights over each one of our lives and over every part of our lives. That's what the sacrifice of Isaac teaches us. He has absolute authority and ownership over our lives. Now, here's another aspect of that sacrifice that's important for us to to look at. When God told him to sacrifice Isaac, he said to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. And we need to look a little bit at what a burnt offering is, because that ties in with this idea of being given up to the Lord. In the burnt offering, the whole animal is burned on the altar. This differs from the peace offering, for instance, in which you eat the animal in the presence of the Lord, like the Passover was a kind of peace offering. It was a peace offering. And they ate the lamb. That's why we eat the, the victim ourselves. You see, we eat the lamb in the Lord's Supper, the lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. That parallels their eating the lamb at Passover. This indicates our participation in the victim and receiving the peace that results from that sacrifice, and it represents that we're having fellowship with God in, in, at table. So it's a beautiful picture, the peace offering. But the burnt offering pictures something very differently. And I'm sure some of you who are reading through the Bible have, you know, gotten through Leviticus and Numbers and kind of your head spinning, you know, over this offering and that offering. And the burnt offering, the whole animal is offered, and this indicates the complete giving up of your life to God. The animal is in your place and it is given completely. The whole animal burned up, offered up to God as a symbol of your giving your life completely to God. In the burnt offering, you acknowledge you are not your own. You completely belong to God. You give yourself completely to his will, completely to his purposes and his protection, his forgiveness and his transforming power. You see, 
That's why it was appropriate that Abraham was offering up his child to indicate he was completely given up to God's will. And so when the ram was given as a substitute, he offered that ram up as a burnt offering. And what a perfect reflection it was of the very thing that Abraham had done. Because when he was called on to sacrifice his son, he didn't hold on to what he thought were parental privileges or hold on to the promises he understood it and said, no, I can't do this because all the promises would be gone. He gave himself completely up to God's will, completely up to God's command, even in the confusion and darkness of it. He didn't know how the Lord was going to do this. It indicates in Hebrews 11 that he even believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead if necessary, but he was just completely giving himself up to the will of God. And so how appropriate, what a heart sacrifice it was for Abraham then to offer the ram as a burnt offering, a true symbol of what his heart had demonstrated to be. As even the Lord said, now I know that you fear me. Now I know that I'm the exclusive, important person in your life and issue in your life. Now I know you love me completely. And so then he expressed it in the offering up of the ram. That's what the burnt offering is all about. It represents our giving ourselves completely to him. And then jumping to your and my life, this idea of the burnt offering, this idea of holy, being wholly given up to God, this is the central and essential part of all of our worship and all of our life as Christians. This defines us. It's interesting as Calvin, uh, Roland Wallace has a whole book on the doctrine of the Christian life by Calvin. And the whole beginning part of this book is about Christ's offering up of himself to God. You think, well, I thought this was about the Christian life. He roots everything in Christ consecrating and giving himself up completely to God and then goes on and talks about our giving ourself up to God. And so you're familiar. Maybe you're already thinking about that verse in Romans chapter 12. The letter, Paul's letter to the Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And really, this is the idea of the burnt offering. It's the idea of the burnt offering. Offer your body as a living sacrifice, completely given up to God. So that every part of your life, every part of worship is a part of giving yourself away. When you come to give yourself to his word, his, to, to think his thoughts after him, to know his word and treasure his word and live out his word, you're giving your life up, you see, as a burnt offering. When you give yourself to him in praises and adoration, when you give yourself to him in prayer and confession and you lay out your needs and you give yourself up to his salvation and strength, you see, that's part of the whole burnt offering. And every day of your life should be, in a sense, this offering. Your life given up to His will, as if that pertains to your family or your work or to God's people, to your community, to the whole world. It's the central act of your life every day. Your heart and life, all that you are and have, 
given up to the will and ownership of your gracious and kind Savior. There's the Christian life. It finds its root, as Calvin and so many others have pointed out, and its whole source in the consecration of Jesus Christ on the cross. You see, it was a death in our place. It was a substitute, just like the ram. He was put in our place and he was condemned in our place so we wouldn't have to be condemned. But it can be a substitute for us. And this is so important. It was pleasing to God. Why? Because it was Christ's offering of himself completely to the Father's will, even to the cruel death on the cross. He didn't shrink back from even that. His whole life, of course, was the, the giving up of himself to the Father's will. In John 4, 34, he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In John six thirty eight, he said, For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so his whole life was, in effect, a burnt offering. But on the cross, there's the summit of this self-offering. On the cross was the only true whole burnt offering ever given up to the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. There we see perfect trust in the Father, perfect love to the Father, perfect submission to the Father, perfect love to His people in offering Himself up for them. It was magnificent, spellbinding offering of a human life up to God. And it was wholly pleasing to the Father. It was a perfect sacrifice. A perfect sacrifice. And that whole offering of Christ benefits you and me in at least three ways. First, it is your only hope for being accepted by God. It is your only hope for being accepted by God. Whatever else you and I have been and done, your life has in no way been fully given up to the will of God. No way close. You've not since earliest childhood zealously given yourself up to God's will every moment of your life. You've not all day, every day put your life in his hands that you might not live for yourself, but completely for him. You've not ached and longed every day to do his will and rejoiced at the opportunity of doing his will. You know that none of us has come close. Our lives by nature are a mockery of that idea. Do you understand? A mockery of the idea that we should give our life up to God. We've ridiculed that by our disobedience. We've despised Him by our lack of self-offering. Our lives, by nature, are walking travesty before God because we're not given up to His will by nature. You and I belong to God completely. completely. Your life is not your own. But we've not given ourselves up to Him in anything close to this perfect offering. And for that reason, we belong to His judgment. The wages of sin is death. We've earned wages for our self-will, for holding on to our lives and not giving them up to God. We've earned a wage of death. We belong to death and judgment. And our only hope is the self-offering of Christ for our sakes. 
He gave Himself up to bear our punishment, to make a sacrifice to God, to be the perfect offering on our behalf, entirely pleasing to the Father. And I ask you, where will you find another sacrifice acceptable to God? Where? You're going to find another human being? You're going to find an angel somewhere? You've got to have a sacrifice. I have to have a sacrifice. And the Father is perfectly pleased with this sacrifice. It's accepted and He offers it. He urges it passionately to you that you would trust in it and benefit from it and have the same acceptance that His own Son has. That you would be brought near through that sacrifice. Secondly, this whole offering of Christ to the Father is not only your only means of being accepted by God, it's your only means of being transformed by God. Christ in His offering completely consecrates Himself to the Father. He's the true Ram. He's the true Lamb of God, as John said. And when we trust in Him gloriously, we become a part of His consecration to God. We're dedicated with Him to God. And that's, that's part of our being separated out. That's why he says here in Romans 12 that you offer your bodies a living sacrifice holy. See, that's the idea. You've been cut out, carved out of the rock. You've been now offered up to God in Christ as you trust Christ. Now you're intimate with God. In Christ, you're a child. In Christ, you're a part of His household. In Christ, you've been brought near for years. I've loved this verse in Psalm 65, verse 4. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. But it's not only that it's a privilege, it's a power in your life. It's the power of transformation in your life. Through this consecration, your former life dominated by sin is gone and over. No, you've been in Christ consecrated to God. Paul talks about this in Romans 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So there we are, joined to Christ, crucified with Him, dedicated with Him, so that our old life that was ruled by sin is gone. We've been dedicated with Christ to God. How glorious. And that was done for us. It's, it's not your own personal dedication, though it follows from that. It's Christ taking you who trust in Him and powerfully dedicating you to the Father. And separating you from your former life and making you now the inheritance of the very power and fellowship of God. So you have a new status, a separated status, a brought near status, we might say, a belonging status. You've become a part of the power of Christ's whole burnt offering. United to Him, you are given up to God. You are united to Him. You will find the strength and will and love by His grace to then offer yourself up to God because you're a part of Christ. That's why Paul can say then in Romans 6, Therefore, 
Since you are consecrated to God, since you've been separated and, and sin has been broken, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Don't present your members as sin to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But what? Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. He's talking whole burnt offering there. You've been dedicated in Christ so dedicate yourself, you see. In Christ, you've been joined to that consecration. So now, don't give yourself anymore to your former life. Give yourself as instruments to God. That's a whole burnt offering. Lord, I belong to you. You. And then... Finally, it's not only your only means of being accepted, your only means of being transformed. It's your only means of being motivated to love God and to love people. That's the last point. Take a deep breath. Hang with me a couple more minutes. You see, in Christ offering up himself to the Father, you see his love and devotion and obedience to the Father. But one of the reasons that his love and devotion and obedience is so perfect is that he perfectly loved us in his sacrifice. That's what made him so perfect and pleasing to the Father was that he loved us in his sacrifice. That delighted the Father to see the Father's love for his people reflected in the love of his own son. And so Paul says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He offered himself as a sacrifice to God. He was the offering, the whole burnt offering. But why? Because he loved us. He loved us. The sacrifice was made for us, of course, because God loved us. We know John 3.16, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. John says in 1 John 4, it's not that we've loved God. He loved us and sent his son. To be the propitiation, to be the satisfying offering for our sin, it was God's love. We didn't love God, we didn't, but He loved us and sacrificed His Son so that anybody who trusted in Him would be redeemed. And by the way, here's another reason not to doubt what God is doing with Isaac. Because God does it with His own Son. Right? And whereas He spared Isaac... Paul, and probably reflecting on that very event, said he did not spare his own son, but he delivered him up for us all. How will he not with him give us all things? It's the greatest good ever done. It's the sacrifice of his own son. So we can't question what this God does. But you see, of course, that's why we love because he first loved us. As John goes on to say, we love because he first loved us. His offering of himself captivates our hearts. He wins us. He woos us by his love. He persuades us and courts us with his love. And so Paul says the love of Christ controls us. Brothers and sisters, this whole burnt offering of Christ It becomes an endless treasure to you and me. 
It's a treasure of encouragement and comfort and relief and rest. And by His grace, we give up our lives to walk in that same love so that our lives become a whole burnt offering after the manner of Christ. Especially a joyful offering of love to God and love to people. In its best, this whole burnt offering is everyday joy of loving God and loving people. It happens to be our vision statement, right? Nurturing a joy for loving God and loving people. It's just another way to describe Christ's offering of Himself and now our offering of ourselves up to do God's will. Have you given yourself up to God? You can only do it through the Lord Jesus Christ. Only through Him can you be accepted and transformed. And can you have a life more and more given to love? Let us pray. <clears throat> oh Lord, if there is any here that do not, have not given themselves up to the Lord Jesus Christ, may they do so now by Your grace. And Lord, we acknowledge that apart from Your grace, we will not give ourselves up to You. <clears throat> by nature, we hold on to our lives we want to protect our lives, guard it. We want it to be of our own making by nature. We do not trust your goodness. We're suspicious of you. And, oh Lord, this offering calls us to give ourselves up into the hands of a glorious and gracious God who has Himself given up His own Son for our sake. Oh, Lord, may that stir us to find our acceptance in Jesus Christ alone, our transformation in Jesus Christ alone, and a whole life of love lived to you and to others through Jesus Christ alone. Bless us to that end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.